Welcome to No Hope, the podcast. Like having a baby without any drugs. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to No Hope. No Hope, the podcast. The podcast. Uh, I'm Tim Miller, And I'm Scott Schneider. We have a very, very special episode for you today with a very special guest. Oh my God, I'm very so first special guest. So excited. Uh, we're going to give you a quick lowdown on who we are. Uh, we already said our names. We're two gay, middle-aged, white, cis men who live in New York and write musicals. So there you go. That's pretty much all we have to say. You know, we, we've been doing this a long time. We've had no success. Zero. Uh, but, you know, what artist has, has really been successful in their lifetime, right? I no mean, one good. I would say we've had like a, a very modicum amount of artistic success, but absolutely no financial uh, success or any renown whatsoever. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and we've been doing this for 16 years, but we're going to keep on doing it regardless of that. We could have like a teenager, like, like at this point. Well, you could argue, you could argue <laughs> that some of those little babies have now turned into teenagers that we wish we had, we didn't have. Yeah. Um, Look, we recognize, right. uh, the hard work it takes to make theater and would never fault anyone for their effort. But it's like having a baby without any drugs. <laughs> I don't know. We keep doing this intro I, and it's like I, I'm trying to keep it fresh, but it's it's I don't know what stuff, that means. Tim. I don't know. I don't know what that just, means. Just you know, but... I just imagine that that's very difficult to just, you know, have a baby without I, any drugs. People do it. Well, not people, yeah. women. Women do it. Yeah, a lot of women do like, it. Elect to do it. Um, but yeah, I, the point is, is that we're going to be frank about our feelings. It has uh, gotten us exactly where we are today. So we thought, why stop, you know, um, and we're going to jump right in. Let's yeah. jump right in. Let's talk about musicals. What do you say? I, it, there's nothing I would like to do more. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So first off, we're going to do a little rewind. 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 Uh, for two episodes, we called it Circle Back, but we've decided to update that to Rewind. Hopefully, we won't change that again and confuse you, all three of you that are listening right now. Um, I made, the on episode three, I said you might be like Glenn Close in the Big Easy Ooh. in the shower scene, which Glenn Close wasn't in the Big Easy. <laughs> that was a Dennis Quaid, Alan Barkin vehicle about oh. New Orleans Minor. in the mid-90s, early 90s, maybe late 80s. I can't even remember now. Hmm. The Glenn Close shower scene was in The Big Chill, which is a very oh. different film. So I've, I did want to say... <laughs> I've not, I I've not seen either. You so. didn't, even, you didn't right. even hear that probably. No, yeah. no, I just kind of escaped notice. Um, also, uh, Tommy, we, we talked about Tommy a little mm -hmm. bit in episode, I can't remember which one, but you had mentioned the gypsy <laughs> queen and it's not the gypsy queen. It's the acid queen. Yeah. Which when you told me that I'm like, that makes perfect sense. I don't know what like vaguely racist recess of my brain came up with like the gypsy queen, but it has a nice ring to it too. And it does. It does have a nice. I don't. I don't necessarily think that it's racist. Well, I mean that That's word is. It's like you know that word is is kind of frowned upon these days. Okay. I yeah, mean, like the Stevie whole Nicks uses it, doesn't she? Of course is she, she does. racist. But you know the, that whole Broadway thing of like you know Gypsy of the Year. I think they like renamed it for reasons. You know. Anyway. Oh. Um. Yeah. 
Okay, have, Tina Turner, by the way, did play the Acid Queen in Tommy the film. Yeah. So you just so you know, cool. we, um, we, we might have mentioned that. I had one rewind okay. if there's time okay. for it. So yes. I was skeptical about Wikipedia's assertion that Sarah Jessica Parker played the title role of Annie in the uh, in the first uh, Broadway production. I knew she was in it, but I, I was skeptical about that. But I looked it up, and in fact, she did. And she's very, you know, she's like pro her experience with Annie. And it, to the extent that in 2017, she participated in a 40th anniversary that aired on Inside Edition. And there was like a little like pull quote from it where she said, I watched Andrea and assumed I would never be an Annie, Parker says in a teaser clip. I would certainly never play Annie and I wouldn't be part of this sort of magical phenomenon that washed over Broadway. So I wonder if Will and Grace took that episode that I had mentioned from that, because apparently there was like a full on Annie reunion. Um, and so wait, Inside Edition just like covered this reunion yeah. or it was yeah. made for Inside Edition? <laughs> I don't know. Okay, okay. okay. <laughs> I looked it up okay. five minutes before this, but it, there's literally like SJP on camera talking about it. So it's legit. Like she was, she was in it. She was an Annie. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. Okay. Um, we've been watching, uh, sex in the city reruns, like from, from season one, that's just been on TNT, like the last few days. Okay. And it is so crazy to watch. Well, specifically knowing that she was Annie and watching that show and also season one, cause season one was so clunky was and, so, and weird. Yeah. And all the talking when, when to the camera. Had, yeah. When like, they had oh. all of those. Yeah. 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 Um, Okay, great. We're going to move on Moving to on. welcoming our very, very first guest and also uh, a No Hope artistic associate, Busy Coy. Welcome, Busy. Thank you, guys. I'm I'm a longtime listener, um, such a fan <laughs> yeah. of the pod. So great to be here. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about yourself. You make your living as a writer. Tell us about what what is that? How do, how does that happen? How did that come to be? I will tell you about that. I also have a confession before we get in too deep. Okay. Which is right before we hopped on the line here, I was having some allergy symptoms. And I was like, oh boy, I don't want that happening while we're recording. I'm going to take me a little Claritin. And then I didn't really pay attention to what bottle I picked up <laughs> and what pill I just took. And instead of a Claritin... It is a Benadryl, which gives me about 60 minutes before I just literally fall asleep. So, <laughs> so, so I'm very mad at myself, especially because I drank like several cups of coffee today being like, I'm going to have energy. I'm going to bring some positive spirit to this podcast. And now I'm like, oh, my God, I'm literally going to fall asleep on the table. The clock, <laughs> the clock's minutes. ticking. It's so it's very funny to me. And perhaps it will yield some interest in conversation when I start getting drowsy. So <laughs> just to let you know. Do you know what people are looking for in a podcast? Drowsiness. Drowsiness. I, yes. Know, <laughs> I'm not a I'm not a big substance taker of any kind. So like a Benadryl to me is like pretty hardcore. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's like you've like shot up heroin injected directly into your veins or something. It's exactly like that. Exactly. Like oh my god. That. Well, we better exactly get into like it. Oh, so I'm tell tell us, busy. Tell us. Oh, so you wanted to talk about me being a writer? Yeah. Um. So I guess you know, like a lot of writer people, I enjoyed reading and writing as a child. I wrote a little a little illustrated book about a cat once. 
before I realized I hated cats. Um, <laughs> and that propelled me on a on a wonderful career path. Um, no. What so, was the name? What was the name of the book? I think it was like "I Am a Cat" or something. It was like that stupid like that. fucking cat by Busy Coy. No, I was still young and very starry-eyed and didn't have any hate in my heart just yet. <laughs> but how times have changed. Um, so, in terms of my writing career, um, so Tim and I we met um, many years ago while we were both working at a company called Blue Man Group. And at that time, I did not know I wanted to write. And I was busy doing other things in other departments at that company. And a show called Mad Men started being on TV. And I was like super into Mad Men in the world of advertising. And I was so inspired by the lead character of Peggy Olsen, who was a copywriter, an, a, a bright ingenue copywriter. And I was like, I feel like I would be really good at that and I would enjoy it. And so I asked the marketing department at Blue Man Group if they would like throw me some little writing jobs. And they did like, you know, they like patted me on the head and were like, oh, sweet busy. Here, you can write this sentence that needs to go on the website. And I would like do a little task like that. And I enjoyed it so much. And um, I then from there became a copywriter at a digital agency and sort of worked my way up the ladder in terms of the copywriting biz. Um, which I love and which I still do and is my main source of employment is freelance copywriting. And I love it. And then- And from- what what all does that include? What does freelance copywriting include oh. for you? Like how big is the bucket? It, the bucket is huge and I have a very small drop in that bucket. Um, copywriting can be anything from the words on a website to words on social media. No, but I mean for you, what specifically do you work on? For me, I right now mainly work with theatrical clients. Um, My main clients are Roundabout Theater Company in New York, um, New Jersey Performing Arts Center in Newark. Um, I've recently been let go by several clients in the midst Uh, of the pandemic, pandemic. which has been fun. But but that really my niche is um, theatrical marketing and advertising, which is good because that's my theater is my background and I love to write. And I've never gotten paid to write anything theatrical other than advertising. So um, that is my little niche. Very cool. Very cool. Tell tell us, because um, I know, well, you, you started to talk about how we met, but I know that you also just write a shit ton of stuff. Like you have written, I know, at least one novel. Yes. Um, you have written how many screen? I know you've written at least one screenplay. Mm-hmm. I know you've written multiple plays. Um, you also do a lot of uh, writing humorous pieces that have been published in The New Yorker. Um, tell us a little bit about about just sort of like all of the stuff that you write. Sure. So actually becoming a copywriter kind of reminded me that I had this interest and this passion in writing. And once I started doing copywriting professionally, it was kind of like, oh, I could write other things too. And I started to get more into those creative um, formats that you just described. Um, I moved out of the city uh, about seven years ago, and my plan was, I'm going to write the great American novel. And um, you know what? I did, and it was so bad. Um, (laughs) Nobody wanted it, and for good reason. It was really terrible. It was about a serial killer who was a chorus boy in a touring production of The King and I. Um, 
and it was as I, I bad as say, it sounds. I can say definitively that it was not at all bad, and it oh. was extremely enjoyable as yeah, I read I, it. I, I, I so read nice. it too. I think we often think that our our endeavors are bigger artistic failures than other people. Um, I mean, the, for our, Tim and I's first foray, I trashed for years, but people came to it and enjoyed it, which sort of mystified me. So... <laughs> That's true. And but you know, it for me it really was like my first major creative writing project and it felt that way in terms of like I l- learned a lot and it wasn't perfect and amazing, but it was good to just do it and and have that experience of like saying I'm going to do it and actually doing it. Um but from there I kind of discovered that maybe novels were not my forte, but I got into writing these short humorous pieces as you mentioned Tim. Um, that I submitted to places like The New Yorker, McSweeney's, other websites and places that publish short humor. And that seemed to really be a niche where I like, I, I figured it out and it, it made sense to me and it was really enjoyable for me to write. And I actually got stuff published for the first time, which was thrilling. Um, because as you've said, you know, I wrote a book, I've written screenplays, I've written plays, I've written musicals, and none of them have really seemed to go anywhere. So my short humorous stuff was really kind of the first foray that I had that was like, oh, I like this and other people like it. What a thrill. Well, that's the thing. You need those little tidbits of positive enforcement, no matter how small they are. And I'm certainly not saying that getting things published in The New Yorker is small. But for us, it's like, like, like Scott (laughs) said, having people just show up to the show and being like, oh, my God, that was so funny. I told my friend to come. And that's it. That's all. You know, that's pretty much all we've ever had. (laughs) And and that has kept us moving forward because you're like, okay, well, somebody somebody's having a good time. And we're getting better um and i think that's the other thing is like it's i don't know i just you know i admire you so much you are not only are you're just so determined and like that novel like you finished a sizable project and you didn't stop writing it and i think that that for me is like that's that's what makes you a writer and i think that's what makes people writers is if they actually write, you know, they have to write, you have to do it. And if you do it, you're probably going to get better at it unless you really, really suck. That's very (laughs) nice of you to say. And I will return the compliment sincerely because when I first kind of got connected with you guys, I was very impressed with the output that you guys had generated over your time together. And that like you kept making shows and you kept doing new projects. And in my mind, I always have this sense of like, well, if I don't get some sort of acceptance from the establishment, then I'm going to throw it in the garbage and stop and try something else. And you guys have just inspired me in the fact that you need nobody's validation. You just continue to create work and you do have this fan base and this audience that comes out and supports you and loves what you do. And there's something like really inspiring about that to me. Um. Thank you. It yes. does make me it does make me chuckle because it's you know yes it's true we we keep like like we say at the beginning we keep doing this stuff, and it's actually kind of nice to realize that that's where we've gotten to because I think for a long time we were looking for that same sort of establishment validation and I think there was a, a conversation that we had like it's probably been about three years ago now where we recognized oh. I think we're just going to keep doing this no matter what happens, you know, like we might be like 75 and still 
still like well whoever's alive uh might still be the same crowd that can make it to the the next no hope production but god damn it you know thank them for coming i mean i think Um, we've we have gone through phases but yeah i i sort of feel like pretty early on you know we said it out loud that it's like even without like we're just gonna keep doing this because there is enjoyment in the process for sure and um the things we write about are weird <laughs> like and i you know i don't think we would be disingenuous and try to write um a christmas carol the musical like we've talked about oh that's probably something we should do as an exercise but um but yeah it's much more fun to write about um you know Lesbian, mom, le- lesbian moms killing their children, something that we forced busy to work on a, a few months ago, actually. <laughs> well, let's let's talk about things that we've worked yeah. on together. Let's talk about how we started this trio of collaboration. Busy, do you want to because um, it is kind of a, a funny little tale? Well, from what I recall, as I mentioned, Tim and I had worked together previously And then I had moved out of the city in like 2013. And I hadn't, you know, talked to you, Tim, or heard from you in years because we were not like social hangout friends. But one day, I think in like 2014, I got a message on LinkedIn that was from you, Tim, that was something to the effect of, hey, maybe you know Scott Schneider and I work on writing shows together. And we're working on a show right now, and we thought it needed a woman's perspective. And I looked on LinkedIn, and I see that you're doing some writing. So maybe you would want to join us to collaborate on this musical inspired by the Mary Kay Letourneau story about a teacher who seduces her student, and then they fall in love and live happily ever after. And most people would be like, Huh? What? No. And I was like, oh, yeah, that sounds surprisingly like something I would like to work on. Um, And then it was all downhill from there. (laughs) I remember exactly where I was when you responded to that LinkedIn message. I was I was getting ready to watch a show at Astor uh, for work at Blue Man. And I was walking on Broadway right near Astor Place. And I saw that you had responded and said you were interested. And I called Scott Schneider and I was like, oh, my God. Busy Koi is going to work with us. Busy Koi is going to work with us. I'm like, like, she didn't run for the hills. Um, yeah. I seem to remember that you that when I took that phone call on a very random time and place, which was like I was at a I was at a wedding in the middle of the White Mountains, uh, and it was like a week or two before Christmas, and it was in this hotel, which very much was similar to the hotel in the shining. Like it was just like, (laughs) so that, that should have like, like that should have clued me in, uh, the fateful moment as to, as to to what this was going to be like (laughs) foreboding. So so yes, the three of us embarked and we, talked about this for a moment at some point previously about this Mary Kay Letourneau musical that Scott and I started to write when we first started working together. And it was very much like several songs that were extremely campy. Um, And then when we decided that we were going to really sit down and try to do this and we, and we got busy involved, we 
we took a very different approach. Um, and then we kept working on it and kept working on it. And we've, we've had, I don't know, three or four readings, I think with different casts, with Mm -hmm. different Samanthas. We, we called Mary Kay Samantha in the musical, um, it's just been a struggle. And, and I think one of the things that we talked about on an episode busy that you haven't yet heard when we talk about little shop of horrors is just that tonal, that finding that tone and finding that, that way into the story, you know, and the, the fact that you can, uh, with little shop, like you can, you can see these, these characters that are doing these despicable things and still root for them and still love them. And I think that's the thing that has always attracted me to this story is that is to try to figure out how to make Mary Kay, a person that you want to succeed at this <laughs> horrible thing, you know, um, and it's it's still well, a struggle that continues. Yeah, I think I think we wanted the audience to feel conflicted. We wanted it to be successful, and in that you did root for her, but then felt bad about it. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, that you felt. You, you questioned whether or not this was actually possible, you know, that, 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 the, that the boy could have legitimate real feelings. And I think that was the thing that was so fascinating about the real event, right? Don't you think? I mean, the of the many iterations we've gone through with this musical, it has been incredibly frustrating to me to try to nail down that tone, and I don't think we've ever succeeded. But the one moment that I always knew I wanted was exactly what Scott is alluding to, which is like at the final moment, the grand finale moment of the show where everybody is on their feet applauding (laughs) this character who is essentially traumatized and abused this child and that everybody's on their feet clapping and there's an amazing finale moment. And then like when the lights start to come up, everybody very quickly stops clapping and is like, wait a minute, what? What just happened? What the fuck? <laughs> like, I wanted that moment. To me, that was the tone of like this, this conflicted. You're you're in. You're sympathetic. You're out. You're antagonized by her. Like this back and forth, and that is such a hard tone to nail down. And you know, I'm I'm very burned out on thinking about this story. And <laughs> we, now we're we've forcing you to, to talk about and, it, but yeah, it's, because we've been yeah, working on this for. We started that, you said, in 2014. And you guys had already been working on it, from what I remember. Yeah. Yeah, we had we had a very, very rough draft. I would say not a completed draft. We had, like, the story sort of mapped out. Um, and like Tim said, we had a couple, a couple songs that we pretty much knew were probably going to be scrapped just because they weren't the right tone. It was, it was much more camp. Um, you guys, have yeah. we ever written so many songs that have gone no. in the garbage? There's so like, much music in so many songs from this, the iterations of this show. Scott has written so <laughs> many amazing songs that, that will never get to see the light of No day. one will ever oh hear. My gosh. There are certain I, I, songs and moments that I think we wrote like three, four different songs in that moment. Um Absolutely. And, and, and never hit them. But then other ones, I really feel like we did like that song, Feel Like Home, which is, which is the, the song that Diego and Samantha are singing in their own little worlds. Um, I think that is a brilliant song, whether or not it actually belongs in this musical. 
don't know. But uh, there's a there's a lot of moments like that. I mean, I think the title song is a really beautiful song and sounds exactly like what we wanted it to sound like, which was a, a Kirby Shaw Midwestern choir number. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's a lot of those moments that that we got to work. I did want to mention Scott and I were chatting quickly earlier about we went up to your place. Yeah. Um, how many times? Like at least three or four times, and had a retreat. Twi- I think it was twice. Was it just twice? <laughs> yeah, we went. We it came felt up like to- it felt like a lot more. You guys. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, you were a horrible house guest. <laughs> no, no, I remember that. It was nice it, it, because so the nature of our collaboration is mostly virtual because you guys are both in the city. And I live upstate. And so to have a day or two when you guys could come up and visit me and we could all literally be in the same room was like so different to even be in a room with you guys collaborating and Scott on his keyboard and Tim and I trying to like write stuff on the fly. And like it was very cool to be able to do that because usually it's very much like Tim has an idea. I'll I'll write something, send it to him. He'll make some changes. We'll send it to Scott. Scott will write some music. Like it's very much like done over email usually. Yeah, yeah. I mean that was really fun for me because, uh, like you said, it's usually pretty independent the work the work itself. Um, yeah. And that was one of the few times I can recall like actually trying to come up with melodies and chords and just on the spot, um, which was both thrilling and terrifying (laughs) at the same time i remember you did come up with like this one song like on the fly and i think we were all like oh my god this song is amazing i can't believe you just came up with this song and of course it's yet one of dozens thrown onto the pile that will never be used (laughs) in the show but in the the moment it was like thrilling to be like oh my god we came up with this concept we wrote lyrics for it scott figured out like an amazing melody and bridge and whatever and then it's like okay never used again (laughs) But, well, it was like the, the, it was like being in a workshop situation, and yeah. it, that that was like really invigorating. I remember how invigorating it was to 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 do that and to be work because we, we probably worked like eight or nine hours yeah. on that sat. You know, when we arrived on that Saturday, and it was very thrilling. We did retain the um, the the Diego sort of his part of feel like home, the uh, his I want portion. Like some of that was born. At yeah, Camp Koi number one, and it, it remains in the in the show in whatever it, incarnation it is right now. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I will see the world, and in the world I'll find him with his other wife, his other son, his other life, and tell me that he's sorry. I will leave. I'll leave. 
I mean, I, w- I would say the experience of working on this, it's worth mentioning that, uh, like, this is often, I feel like, the experience of developing and writing musical theater. Uh, I, I think it it's rarely just comes out fully formed. It's a very iterative process. Um, I mean, this for sure of everything we've worked on has been the most sort of trying in that respect, as, as we said, like <laughs> writing three, four or five songs all in one place. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, I don't think for most people it's just like, let's just sit down and write a musical and it just comes out fully formed, like and the thing that it needs to be. Yeah. Um, so let's move on because we're, we're going to have another chat with Busy on our next episode. Uh, and so we have some more things to talk to her about, some more things to ask. But um, I think we might want to jump into the the meat of the episode, which is Busy Coy is going to present either a musical she loves or a musical she hates. And we're going to talk about that. And we're going to decide right now with a coin toss. Um, Schneider, do you want to, do you have the coin? I do. Um, Heads is. Heads is love. Okay. Tails is hate. Tails. Tails. Which is great because heads was last time. Wait, it's, so it's hate? So it's hate. hate. So you're going to start with a musical that you hate or as we have clarified, could just be something you think is like overrated or so disappointing. I'm okay with the very strong language of hate. Okay. (laughs) I thought you might be. I want it to just be venom. Just venomous. Why have a podcast if not to invite controversy? Totally. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so what is it? So the music, a, mus- a musical I hate, just one of many, is Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. <laughs> I think I'm okay with that. <laughs> I don't know Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor really? Dreamcoat at all, There's but I have no problem it's, with that. Yeah. It's pretty, well, I'll let busy. <laughs> well, I'm, I am curious to hear your opinions also. Um, for my tiny amount of research that I did on this. I just did it all on Wikipedia. Come on. Um, It's interesting because what we were just talking about, the lengthy development process of a new piece, is sort of exactly what happened with Joseph. And I want to read you exactly this description of how this show was developed, stolen from Wikipedia, just because it's literally exactly what we were just talking about. So this show was written by Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice. Um, Here's... Here's just a paragraph I'm going to read to you. Joseph was first presented as a 15-minute pop cantata at Colette Court School in London in 1968 and recorded in expanded form by Decca Records in 1969. After the success of the next Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice piece, Jesus Christ Superstar, hmm, Joseph received amateur stage productions in the U.S. beginning in 1970, and the first American release of the album was in 1971. The musical had its professional premiere as a 35-minute musical at the Edinburgh International Festival in 1972. While still undergoing modifications and expansions, the musical was produced in the West End in 1973, and in 1974, its full modern format was performed at the Haymarket Theater 
The musical was mounted on Broadway in 1982. Wow. And then there were several major revivals, national tours, and a 1999 direct-to-video film starring Donnie Osmond. So it started in 1968 and got to Broadway in 1982. Wow. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Which is like... A really long development process for a show that is garbage. It's twelve years. <laughs> yeah. Twelve years. I actually yeah. knew that it had started at that like boys' school or something. Right. Yeah, it was. It's very strange. Very strange evolution of a show. It's interesting because so Joseph was written before Jesus Christ Superstar, and you can tell. <laughs> it's like it's. Exactly the kind of garbage show that I would write if I, like Andrew Lloyd Webber, was 20 years old. Can you imagine what you wrote at 20? Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> like, oh my God. I still have some of those notebooks. You know what else is interesting? This is just a, a tiny sidebar, is that the phenomena of, um, and I have I have referenced this with Schneider, um, I think we all have amusingly, is that like you get a hit like later in your career mm-hmm. and then suddenly they're like, what else do you got? What else do you got? And I'm always like, you know, someday they're going to be being like, Dose is going to be on Broadway, baby. And it's it's very, it's much, it's like Richard Greenberg. I mean, Richard Greenberg is actually a great playwright, but Take Me Out, you know, you know the, music, or the show Take Me yeah, Out. Of course. And that was like, his first major, major, major hit. He had a lot of regional success and like off-Broadway success. But then suddenly because of Take Me Out, they were like, let's put up anything that Richard Greenberg has done. And you're like, there's a reason that probably some of those plays haven't been on Broadway before because they're not Broadway vehicles, well, you know? That's um, and certainly, so, certainly the case here. Yes, exactly. And it's just interesting. It's like, oh, what else do you have? You have this? Well, do, let, let's produce this. Let's make this something because you're huge now. And it just becomes like this this juggernaut. Busy. Talk, talk to us. It's funny to me. Okay. It's funny to what me What is this story? Like, I don't even yeah. really know. Well, let me give you the story. Now, I can tell you all about the story because I was in a production of Joseph. Yes. In middle school? <laughs> It may be like, I don't remember. Was it like 98, 99, 2000? I don't remember. But oh my God. somewhere in there. Um, and, you know, I did a lot of shows. I was like a musical kid. And this was definitely one of my least favorites. Like, even then, you just can feel it. You can feel it in like in the music when you're like, I don't love singing these songs. Or like when you're speaking lines and you're like, these lines are hard to remember because they're so dumb. You know, like you can feel it even when you're like a dumb kid or you don't really know what you're talking about. There's something about the material that like just does not click the way it should. So for those of you who are not familiar. Um, like me. Like like Tim. So th- this is the story of Joseph from the biblical book of Genesis. So Andrew Lloyd Webber had this whole like Bible thing going on with Jesus Christ Superstar, which I love and which is great. And then this thing with Joseph, which I hate and is stupid. So the basic story is Joseph is the youngest son in a really big family. His brothers all hate him because he gets special treatment, including a fancy coat of many colors. Oh, my. He's he's so lucky and they all hate him for it. His special talent is analyzing dreams, which is weird. Um, <laughs> it's so stupid. It's so stupid. I mean, look, this is Genesis. God wrote the book yeah, of this yeah. musical, and like he did a shitty job. 
So <laughs> I need to write a letter. <laughs> Joseph's brothers then, because they're so mad at him and they're jealous and they hate him, they sell him into slavery in like another city to get rid of him. In this other city, Joseph starts like analyzing dreams for the king and rising in power and fame and kind of like, you know, does pretty well for himself. And then there's like this huge famine and in some stroke of luck, all of his brothers come to the kingdom where Joseph now lives in search of like food and water and they don't recognize each other. And Joseph tries to like trick them to see if they're, they've are they changed and become better people or whatever. And eventually they all get back together and it's one big happy family. And it's like something about like the coat and like following your dreams and some bullshit. It's, it's, that's yeah. I couldn't roll my eyes anymore. So it's like a, <laughs> and it's like a parable. Is this like Joseph, like son of Jesus, Joseph? Or no, this is another this is, Joseph. Okay, so let me talk to you about the Bible, Tim. There's okay. two. <laughs> so, there's yeah. two books of the Bible. The Old Testament <laughs> is before oh, Jesus. Oh, sorry, and yeah, the Book I of Genesis is the very I, first <laughs> book in the Bible where like Adam and Eve and like oh, jo- this weird. guy Joseph, and then thousands of years later, there's the New Testament. <laughs> Which oh is God. where there's Joseph, who is the, who is Mary's husband. We're going to cut that word out. Stepfather, no, we're gonna, no, you better keep this. You better we keep just this. talked about Jesus Christ Superstar busy last in our last uh, episode. And Tim and I talked about going to Sunday school, but I'm not sure now that I believed him. Oh, I Sunday went to Sunday school. school. I went to, what is it? Catholic Sunday school called? CCD? Yeah, I did or CCD. Yeah, yeah, yeah oh, CCD. Yeah. Yep, I'm a recovering Catholic. <laughs> oh my god we're all recovering yeah, catholics that's why something. we get along so well um i have a list of reasons why i hate this show do you want to hear okay. them all yes. of them yes okay um, what are some wait what, what are some songs that are there any songs that i might know because no, um I, the big yeah. the big hit song that like donny osmond sang um was called any dream will do <gasps> Okay. Well, yep. And uh, close every and door close every do- to right. me. Close every door to me. Hide all the world from me. Bar all the windows and shut out the light. Um, that's, you know, one of the things on my list of things I hate about the show is that the songs are bad. Um, there's nobody on earth who like loves these songs or is like, oh my God, I'm going to sing that for my audition song or like that song was so, nobody likes these songs. Um, (laughs) it's sung through a lot like Jesus Christ Superstar, but Jesus Christ Superstar, like it's crazy to me. The music is so much better in Jesus Christ Superstar. And in Joseph, it's just like this pastiche of like different styles and different there's like a there's like a calypso song and like a an Elvis rock and roll song and like a um oh there's some other like different stylistic things where it's trying to be like funny and it's almost like like if Lynn Manuel Miranda was like hey I'm going to do the story of Joseph except I'm going instead of doing one musical style I'm just going to pick all the musical styles and nothing is going to be cohesive and it's not going to make sense um Tim you should know there's a song in the show that is just a list of colors. What? It's, yeah. It's just a singing a list of colors. Is this not a red flag? Like, <laughs> what does it, it do? What's the point of the yellow song? Yellow and green and blue and okra and pu- like literally, that's what it is. It's, it's just, just a ha- monetary it describes, what happens. It's describing the colors in Joseph's Technicolor dream coat, 
Because you can't, apparently you can't see them on stage in the costume. They need to be described in song. <laughs> oh, my Lord. And there are a lot of fucking colors. There's a lot of colors. Coat. But I mean, like, it's that kind of thing where they probably were like, you guys, this is like, I could see me at 20 being like, you guys, what if we did a song that's just a list of colors? And you guys would be like, oh, my God, Busy, that's brilliant. And we would do it. And then we would not realize how dumb it is. Oh, I love my coat of It was red and yellow and green and brown and scarlet and black and poker and peach and ruby and olive and violet and blonde. You're well, so hopefully, right. hopefully, years later we would. I mean, that's yeah. the thing. It would be it would be interesting to to know what Andrew Lloyd Webber thought about this work today, mm-hmm. and if he actually is proud of this work, or oh, if he's he just like care. He's well, yeah, like counting the checks. Yeah, like, Tim, come on. I mean, who are we talking about here? Um, um, he- you're so right, though, about the different musical styles it's very obnoxious it's like let me try on every hat that it has ever been created it's it's annoying um here's another thing i hate about it it has a narrator this to me is another red flag if your story (laughs) doesn't make enough sense that you need a character who explains what the hell is going on what you that is bad storytelling (laughs) Tim, there is a narrator character who kind of like just guides you through the whole story. I totally I'm trying about to that. think. I'm trying to think just like off the top of my head if if I can think of any example no. where I disagree with you. No. And I've tried. I mean, you know what? There's Into the Woods. There's a narrator, but I'm like, I hate that narrator. And also, the narrator is part of the story. Ultimately, that's true. That and is in, true. And in Joseph, yep. it is just this unconnected <laughs> character <laughs> describing the action on stage through song. Through unmemorable song. Okay. So stupid. Another thing I hate about it. It has no women. This show features, in its original incarnations, had an all-male cast except for one woman who who plays the role of the king's wife. And she's supposed to be like this slutty older lady who's trying to get Joseph to sleep with her. And she's supposed to be like hideous and slutty. And it's like just a joke character. And it's not even good. And then years later, they started casting the narrator as a woman to make up for the fact that there were no women. But the narrator role is so dumb. It's like an insult on top of an insult. <laughs> God, just imagine if someone tried. I mean, that that's that's amazing. If, if That's 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 shocking. That's shocking. So but they do it now, right? They don't do it with all men if they do no, it now. Like now. I mean, now I think they switched up a little but it. Part of me understands, like, okay, let's say they were writing this 15-minute original yeah. piece for an all-boys school, and they were like, well, great, we'll just cast all the boys as all the brothers and the Joseph and the king and the whatever. Um, but in terms of a actual, like, you know, more of a Broadway piece, it's kind of ridiculous. Well, they, this should never have been a Broadway musical, so. Wow, that's a strong statement from Scott in Scott's Corner. Should never have been a Broadway musical. It shouldn't have. Here's, I mean, it's. Here's another thing I hate about it. There is no love story. What kind of a musical has no central love story? Um, the only love story I can identify upon very close reading is the love story between Joseph and himself, 
Which is part of why he's such an unappealing, egotistical protagonist. What about Joseph and God? God is like not even in it. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, no. It's weird. There's no God. Um, on, on that same note, another thing I hate is that the character of Joseph, who is our lead protagonist, is kind of a dick and has like no redeeming qualities to me. So like he's his dad's favorite kid. He gets the dream coat. What does he do? He like goes and like shows it off to his brothers and brags about how special he is. And it's like, that's like one of your first scenes is like you just being a jerk to your brothers. And then he has this dream where he's like in charge of all the brothers. And so he goes and tells him like, I had a dream that I was in charge and you were all my slaves. Like, dude, you're such a dick. So then when they do sell him into slavery and whatever, by the time they see him again, he's like rich and powerful And he accuses them of stealing from him so that he can see if they've changed, quote unquote. And I'm like, you're just so mean and like vengeful. I don't get what your deal is. And then after all of that and it's a happy ending and the family reunites again, he brags about the code again. Like, dude, (laughs) chill. What do you think is like the the message of this musical. That is my final point that I hate, is that there's no point and no message and no, for me, there's no like emotional hook to hang my hat on. Like, again, I'll go back to Lin-Manuel Miranda, where it's like he figured out there was this historical story that he could change in ways to make it meaningful for people today. And the Joseph story is almost like he took the story from the Bible and didn't do anything to make it meaningful for people today. He just kind of was like, I'm going to throw some like different musical styles at it and try to put some jokes in there. But like there, there is to me no greater message, point, hook, angle to nor connect. Any, nor any journey for any character, it sounds like. I Have you not they- seen it, Schneider? Um, I have never seen it live. No, I've seen like I knew the music um, and I had like (laughs) a VHS tape in high school that was like best of Andrew Lloyd Webber. And there were a couple songs from Joseph on it, which were like sort of music videos. And it was super, super cheesy. It was the Donny Osmond singing like... um, that uh, close every door to me. And then there was like a whole Joseph mega mix, which I think they might actually do in the stage show where this, if if there's like, in addition to like your comment about there being a narrator giving you red flags, like if you have like a mega mix at the end of the show where everyone comes out and just sings like 30 seconds of each of the musical pastiche songs, like it's a problem. (laughs) I will say I love the Mamma Mia mega mix and I would never trash (laughs) oh i would (laughs) it's funny because i'm very much like i love silly shows that have no greater point like i loved mamma mia i had a great time it's like the dumbest you know jukebox whatever but i loved it and i had fun joseph to me is like i don't know it's just it's trying too hard and not getting there if it really just embraced the silliness maybe it would be more effective i don't know i think it's just it the, the premise is just faulty from the beginning it's and it's still popular, right? Like it's still like it's done in high schools and I think it's probably, generally it's like a clean show yes. and it's like family friendly and like this you know, it's the songs are energetic and like it's a good like high school offering, I guess. Okay. Okay. 
And so Andrew like, Lloyd is still making some dough off of, of Joseph somewhere, right? Oh, surely. Surely. From like, yeah, like regional. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Regional productions. Yeah. Anyway. Amazing. That is my. Jo- amazing. That's my. Amazing. Rant. Joseph amazing. and the amazing. So you, and you were in it. So is that, was, was that your it? first introduction to it with the music and all of it? Was it you being cast in a production of it? Like, had you heard of it before you were in it? I don't know. I, I, I can't remember if I already knew about it or not, but similar to you, Scott, like I definitely had a, a CD that was like the Andrew Lloyd Webber greatest hits. And there definitely were a couple of Joseph songs on there. And then I think I may have seen on like PBS or something like the Donnie Osmond, uh, the filmed version that I think kind of was like its highest height when like it was Donnie Osmond traveling the world in this show that was like super popular. Um, so I feel like I had, may had may have seen it before, and I don't think I hated it at that point either. I knew it. I knew I didn't love it as much as like I remember being in middle school and going to see the high school production of Into the Woods and being like, "Wow, I never knew a show could like blow my mind this way." You know, with the lyrics and the music and the interwoven storytelling and whatever. And I was like, "Wow, I'm in seventh grade. This is amazing to me." And I definitely didn't feel that same. Like, whoa, this is crazy about Joseph. I can't believe you don't know it, Tim. I don't know it at all. But I do know that one song. I knew that one song. And I don't think that I will probably listen to this as a as a follow up, just so just so you know. I yeah. I don't suggest anybody do that. You can safely pass. (laughs) Uh well we're gonna say goodbye for the moment because we're gonna have Busy Koi back. For our next episode, I don't we're going to talk I'm more. Hey, <laughs> that Benadryl's kicking in. She's like, <laughs> just kidding. We're going to talk more about creativity, collaboration, and we're going to hear from Busy about a musical that she loves. Ladies and gentlemen, until next time. There is no hope.